Eight people from two worlds have wound up with Superman's powers. Superman and Madman are two of them. But who are the other six? How did they get his powers? And how will Superman get them back? It's the oddest thing that's ever happened in Metropolis. The most bizarre occurrence to hit Snap City. It's the Superman Madman Hullabaloo. And it's from the frightening genius of Mike Allred. Co-published with DC Comics. That is today on Just Another Fanboy. Give me a bottle of anything and a glazed donut to go. go, go. It's... Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that's always wanted to sleep on a big block of cheddar cheese. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and I'm back once again to take you further down the road of the comic book sensation that is Madman. Today, we're going to look at the Superman Madman Hullabaloo issue number two, which, you know, only makes sense considering that we looked at issue number one last week. You know, it just occurred to me that I probably shouldn't say that we're looking at a certain issue, right? This is, after all, an audio medium. There's really no looking or seeing involved. I mean, I guess I'm looking at it as I'm recording, and you may be over there on the other side of the show, you know, sitting in a boat or on a plane or floating about on the International Space Station, looking through the issue as I talk about it. So, I don't know, maybe look, despite the whole audio thing, is the correct word. Hmm. Anyway, issue number two of the Superman Madman Hullabaloo was published by Dark Horse Comics in conjunction with DC Comics in July of 1997, and this issue is entitled Hot Dang Ying Yang, which is a great title. Hot Dang! Exclamation point. Ying Yang! Exclamation point. Words and pictures by Mike Allred, letters by Sean Cannot, and colors by Laura Allred. Now, in the previous issue, Frank and Superman each in their own universes and each helping their respective scientist friends with an interdimensional experiment suddenly find themselves switching places with the other. Superman, his powers reduced, and his physical self looking more madman than Superman, is hanging with Dr. Flem, Joe, Mott, and the others in Buzztown, while Frank, now with some of Superman's powers and looking more Superman than madman, is hanging with Lois Lane in Metropolis. Eventually, Frank, not able to fight his heroic nature, places himself between a criminal and the cop he's shooting at, only to find himself at the mercy of the gunman, just seconds away from being shot in the back of the head as the issue ends hanging from a cliff. As issue number two opens, Frank is saved from certain death when Captain Maggie Sawyer, Inspector Dan Turpin, and the Metropolis Police Special Crimes Unit arrives on the scene, blasting the criminal, who looks a lot like Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs, with a sedation ray. Mr. Pink, however, also seems to have picked up some of Superman's powers when whatever happened that caused this whole hullabaloo happened, and while he's dazed, he's not yet down for the count. It's not till after Frank pops him a fresh one on the chin, Inspector Turpin hits him with another blast from his sedation ray, and then Lois cracks him atop the head with Professor Hamilton's probe arm that Mr. Pink finally goes down. But before the folks in Metropolis can begin the celebrations, 
a tall building full of people, grows itself a pair of legs, and goes walkabout. Frank springs into action, putting himself in the building's path, and uses the bit of super strength he acquired from Superman to hold the building in place as Maggie Sawyer and the SCU evacuates the building's occupants. Once the people are safe, Frank takes out the building's legs with a nearby lamppost, stopping it from moving any further. Meanwhile, in Buzztown, Superman and the crew are in Dr. Flem's lab, working away at a machine that can bridge the two dimensions and hopefully get Superman and Frank back home where they belong. Back in Metropolis, Professor Hamilton discovers that along with Frank and Mr. Pink, a handful of others in both Metropolis and Buzztown were given some of Superman's powers. And so he has devised a little doohickey that can take those powers away from Frank and the others, holding on to them so that they can be put back into Superman. They test the device on Mr. Pink and find that it works. In the meantime, Superman, Dr. Flem, Joe, and Mott arrive in Metropolis and are soon joined by Frank and the others. Dr. Flem explains to Professor Hamilton the plan he has devised to fix Frank and Superman, and the two get to work. The plan is a success. Frank is Frank, and Superman is Superman. Frank, however, still has some of Superman's powers, and so do a few others. Frank and Superman team up and are able to extract the powers from a little girl at a park and a fellow who's using his newfound super speed to open the world's first healthy fast food restaurant. It's at that point that Professor Hamilton uses science to learn that Superman's remaining power fragments have been dispersed to two, possibly three people, in Frank's universe. And so the crew cross over to take those fragments back. The issue ends as our heroes arrive in Snap City to find a group of super strong mutant street beatniks with Mr. Mixie's Pitlick? Yeah, that's a, that's a great ending. So let's talk about the issue, shall we? I like to start with the cover. Uh, in this case, it's, a, it's another Allred cover. We have Superman and Madman on the front of it with uh, like a, a dimensional hole behind them showing some planets. Frank is standing on what appears to be maybe the, uh, a wall that has been, I don't know, it looks like it's very close to being all kinds of rubbly. Is that, is that the right way you use that word? You know, it's about to be turned into rubble. It looks very ragged. And atop the wall, there is a television set with a broken screen that, that Frank has uh, one of his feet on. And I'm not sure what that's supposed to represent. I don't know if we're supposed to look at this cover and assume that one of their worlds has become a post-apocalyptic nightmare or that they're just standing on a junk pile. I don't know. I, I, I'm not really quite sure what that cover is supposed to represent. Anyway, so we open the issue with Captain Sawyer and Dan Turpin and the, the SCU saving Frank from Mr. Pink. There's a moment when after Mr. Pink is zapped by the sedation ray and after Frank punches him in the chin because the guy starts to get up. The, the sedation ray knocks him down and the guy's kind of laying there and he's rubbing his head and he's got stars coming out of his head and he starts to get up and he's going, Rawr! he's making that noise. Rawr! And Frank just punches him square in the jaw and says, stay down, creep. But then he starts getting back up again and he says, is that your best fancy pants? I'll trade punches with you if that's what you want. And then he leaps up into the air, calling out, Nia! which I'm assuming that's like a, like some kind of martial arts yell, like, Hoo-yah! you know, and 
He's blasted out of the air by Dan Turpin and his sedation ray. Frank catches him as the guy falls, and the guy returns that favor by taking another swing at Frank, but before he can connect, Lois Lane creeps up from behind and uses Professor Hamilton's probe arm to crack Mr. Pink right atop the head, which finally knocks him out. And that's when a building, uh, maybe an apartment building, could be an office building, it suddenly grows a pair of weird-looking legs and just stands up and starts walking through Centennial Park. And Captain Sawyer points out that there are people inside that building that they, they need to do something about. And Lois tells Frank, you've got to try to stop it. And Frank's first reaction is, excuse me? You know, that's the biggest difference, I think, between Frank and Clark. They're both heroes. Frank is not adverse to putting himself in harm's way to help other people. He tends to do it instinctually, though. It's just something that he doesn't quite think about. He just does it. Uh, whereas if he's given time to think about it, he tends to uh, he tends to not want to do it. He, he tends to think more of himself. Meanwhile, we go back to Dr. Flem's underground lab in Buzztown on the outskirts of Snap City, as the caption tells us. And Dr. Flem and his team are putting together a big machine that they're going to use to uh, get Superman back to Metropolis and, and Frank back to his world. And Superman is carrying around a just a great big piece of the machinery. It's about four times the size of an engine block. And he's telling them that he's finally adjusted to this new body that he's in, that he can work around his reduced strength, which kind of amazes Joe because he's lifting something that five or six men together probably couldn't lift. And he's doing it with ease and that she just finds that kind of amazing and then asks him. How much more strength do you need? And it's like, yeah, good point, Joe. Good point. Frank stops the building. He uh, places himself in front of the building and, and just puts his hands on it and holds it, stops it, basically, from moving forward while Captain Sawyer and Dan Turpin and the SCU can get people out of the building. And then, like the synopsis said, he he pulls a uh, a lamppost out of the ground and swinging it like a baseball bat, he destroys the building's legs you know, out from under it and it now can no longer move. And so now this building, which based on this one little scene here, I'm assuming it's an apartment building at this point, but now this building is in the park and there is a, a couple of civilians, as it were, who are standing outside the building who must have been residents because one of them goes, wow, a park view. And the other one says, sure, but it'll be hell catching a cab around here. So, you know, we got a glass half empty, glass half full pair of folks there. We go back to Dr. Flem and Joe is still angry, still angry at Dr. Flem for what happened to Frank. She completely blames Dr. Flem and they've got the machine ready. They're ready to turn it on. And he asks who's going to be coming with him other than Superman. Mott volunteers and uh, Dr. Flem explains that they will need somebody to stay behind to continue repairs on the time rocket as well as to monitor their progress in the other dimension. And that's when Joe just kind of goes off. I hope you don't think I'm going to stay behind because if you do, we're going to have words, pal. And Dr. Flem's reaction is slightly unexpected. He says, your presence on this journey is a given, sweetheart. And I don't know, you, you can't tell, there's no inflection upon that word. So you don't know if he's just saying, you know, you're, we kind of expected you to come along, sweetheart, you know, and kind of like in an endearing way, or if he's going sweetheart, 
like being an ass about it. And well, actually, we do know because her response is, don't you dare roll your eyes at me and don't call me sweetheart. This is all your fault. Remember? So uh, obviously, uh, Dr. Flem's feelings toward her seem to match her feelings toward him. They they seem to not like each other too much. But Bonnie comes to Dr. Flem's defense, tells her not to be mad at Gillespie, Dr. Flem's first name, says they're all killing themselves to try and fix things. And nobody has been working harder than Gil. We all need to keep working together. Superman comes up and places a hand on her shoulder and says, Bonnie's right, Joe. Let's stay focused. Keep believing that everything's going to work out. And Joe kind of breaks down at this point. She starts to cry. I'm sorry, Dr. Flem. Sob is, is what's written in the word balloon. I'm just so worried about Frank. I can't stand it. And Dr. Flem says, I understand, Joe. I do take unnecessary risks at times. You have every right to be angry. And so those two had like a little moment, which was kind of nice. I'd like to, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how that evolves in the future. We go back to Metropolis. Professor Hamilton has built this uh, little machine to take the powers away from Mr. Pink and Frank. Uh, but first, he's, he's on his computer and he has discovered that there are other folks out there who got a bit of Superman's powers. He says that his, during this big thing that happened, the hullabaloo, the interdimensional hullabaloo, that uh, Superman's powers fragmented. And while he kept some, the rest of these fragments, these powers fragments, were dispersed into both universes and were just randomly given to regular folks, other, you know, along with Frank. And so he's created this little doohickey, which basically looks like a metal toilet paper roll with a small metal suction cup at the bottom of it and sticks it on Mr. Pink's head. And when he when he places it there, it makes this noise that goes home, home, and it sticks there by itself. So it's like sucking his head or something on his forehead and it pulls out Superman's powers and then it, it, it keeps it there within the device so that Professor Hamilton can transfer the powers back into Superman. And when he takes the device off, it makes this sound snucked. So very much like a suction cup. That's the way I felt. Then we have Joe and Superman and Dr. Fleming Mott coming into Superman's universe. Superman is immediately confused because they they ask him, did it did it work? Is this is this your home? And his response is, you know, yeah, we made it. But he's standing outside of that building that got up and, and, and walked through Centennial Park. He says, this building doesn't belong here. And suddenly Professor Hamilton and Frank are there. They had Professor Hamilton had recorded. Uh, an energy spike from the the park. And so they came out to investigate and find their friends. And it's it's kind of a fun moment because Joe and Frank run to each other and, and hug and just are all lovey-dovey toward each other. And Lois and Clark want to do the same thing. But of course, nobody else but Lois knows that Superman is Clark. And while Lois and Clark are, I don't know if they're married by this point, they definitely were engaged. As far as the general public knows, Lois and Superman are not involved in any way. She's a reporter. He's a superhero. They're friends. And so they, they run to each other and they're ready to hug. And then they both kind of realize that they're in public and she, she clears her throat. <clears throat> well, congratulations, Superman. Welcome back to Metropolis. I'd like to hear about your experiences. 
Superman says, why, thank you, uh, Lois. It's great to be back. I'd be happy to give you anything you need. And then Dr. Flam and Professor Hamilton meet. And uh, we see in the background of one of these panels where Lois is pointing at the metal plate in Superman's head that would normally be in Frank's head. And she says, does it hurt? And he says, no, not really. And then behind them, Joe and Frank are back there and he's flexing his muscles, showing off his new body and she's squeezing his bicep and she goes, does it hurt? And he says, no, not really. Don't you like it? And she says to him, no, I want you back the way you were. And that's kind of something I failed to mention in the, in the last issue. So Frank is very insecure when it comes to the way he looks. It's one of the reasons why he wears a full costume that covers him from head to toe. You know, he's, he's a, uh, he's a walking corpse. He's an undead guy. He was, he was a, you know, somebody that was brought back to life. His body had, had turned blue basically. And he's got these scars and stitches in his head. He's got that metal plate in his head. He, there's no mistaking that this guy, he looks dead. He doesn't look great. And Frank has always been very insecure about that. While on the other hand, Joe doesn't care how he looks. She is in love with Frank. She, she sees him through the lenses of love. So as far as she's concerned, the way Frank normally looks, that's her Frank. And so despite the fact that he's all handsome and rugged and, and uh, you know, He's like a freaking supermodel now. She doesn't like it. That's that's not her Frank. I really enjoyed that that bit here in this issue. Um, so Flem and Hamilton get together and they put Flem's plan into motion, which involves getting Frank and Superman back to the same spot that they were in, way up in the sky when this all first happened. In essence, try to recreate what was going on when it happened in the first place and. So Superman has to get into the time rocket because neither of them can fly. Superman can't fly anymore. And even though Frank got some of Superman's powers, he can't fly. They put Superman in the time rocket back in uh, Frank's universe, send him up in the air. And then Frank, who puts his mask back on that he was wearing when he was transformed into Super Madman, he has to sit atop a satellite. It's like a, it's like the size of maybe uh, twice the size of a, of a big beach ball. It's a, it's a big round thing. That's just big enough for Frank to sit on top of it. And they use that uh, to float him up to the spot where Superman was in Superman's universe. And when they each reach that area in the sky where the, the other was when the whole hullabaloo kicked off, Frank jumps off of the satellite and Boom, they are back in their own bodies and everything is fixed. But Frank still has his Superman super fragment. And because they know that other folks have some of these super fragments as well, Superman knows that he's going to have to go in with Professor Hamilton and collect them. And so Frank basically tells him, you know, I promise I'll give up your powers as soon as you want them. Uh, but can I keep them for now so I can help you track down these people? and get all of your powers back. And Superman says he appreciates the help and they shake hands. And then there's this wonderful moment where Professor Hamilton and Lois are off trying to narrow down the locations of these various people with the super fragments. And Frank and Superman find themselves alone in Centennial Park. And Superman has told Frank that, you know, 
they're trying to narrow down these locations. So in the meantime, keep your eyes open. We might find whoever has inherited some of my powers through quiet observation. You know, just keep your eyes open. We might see somebody doing something super, and that may mean that they have some of my powers. So Superman is standing there looking uh, ever vigilant, keeping an eye on things. Frank is behind him on the swing set. He's, he's, he's swinging. And he says to Superman, since we're alone, as it were, I was hoping you wouldn't mind if I asked you a few personal questions. Superman says, shoot. And his first question is, do you believe in God? And <laughs> Superman, his response is, wow, that is personal, isn't it? After everything I've gone through, after all the incredible things I've seen, I'd be foolish to say no. I've experienced so many unexplainable things that a supreme being seems to be the only thing that could make the inexplainable explainable. And then he asks Frank, do you? And Frank says, sure, I died once. That's why I'm so messed up. I've touched the hand of creation. At least I think I have. Sometimes I doubt my after-death experience. Sometimes I doubt reality my entire existence even. And they just have this, this you know, heart-to-heart talk where they kind of, uh, Frank kind of opens up about who he is. And while they're talking, Frank at one point, who's still on the swings, notices some mud on his boot. And uh, it's just moments like that that uh, Allred puts in his, his stories. You know, on the, on the one hand, you can have these two super beings slugging it out or switching bodies or aliens running all over the place. And then the other moment is just this kind of down to earth talk about life and possibility of God. And, and, uh, and, you know, Frank has mud on his boot during the conversation. I just, I find that kind of funny. Well, the whole time they're talking though, of course, Superman is still looking around the park using his telescopic vision to see if he can find anybody that might be displaying superpowers. And he ends up finding a pair of kids playing on some uh, playground equipment and there's a little boy about to go down a slide and his name is Petey and his friend Jenny pushes him down the slide, but she does it very violently saying, you should have done what I say, Petey. Now you'll be sorry. And she pushes him so hard that he flies off of the, the slide. So obviously she's got some super strength to her. Superman is able to fly in and catch Petey before he hits uh, what appears to be a, a spiky fence. And Frank leaps up to the top of the slide and takes this girl or tries to take this little girl into his arms and calls her a little stinker. And she just pops him one right in the chin. Just a, I mean, blood flies out of his mouth. She hits him so hard with her super strength yelling, don't touch me. You're a stranger. And then she punches him a a second time. More blood flies out of his mouth. Mommy says men who touch little girls are bad. And should be in prison with all the other perverts, which she's got a point. And so Frank is very dazed. And his only response at this point is, oh, and she tells him, you're going to be in big trouble. And then she flicks the underside of his chin with a finger. But of course, her being super strong, knocks him backwards with a sound effects. Point, P-O-I-T. But then Superman comes up from behind her and wraps her up in his cape. He hands that little suction cup device, the the power collector to Frank and tells him to attach it to her head. He's going to move his cape back and hold on to her. And he needs Frank to stick the collector on her head. When he moves his cape back, she's this little girl is in Superman's arms and she appears to be asleep. And that makes Frank pause. She's not moving anymore. Maybe you suffocated her. And uh, Superman says, put the collector on her forehead, Frank. But then suddenly she she just 
erupts into a big ball of energy, growling. And uh, Frank is able to, though, quickly put that collector on her head. And as they're sucking the power out of her, her mom comes along. What are you doing to my little girl? The costume doesn't give you the right to frighten little girls. And uh, Frank, again, not much like Superman. His response is, you're a little monster, you mean? To which Superman says, Frank, no. And <laughs> Frank just pulls the collector off of her head because it's finished. It's done. And the woman threatens them with a lawsuit. Some superheroes, you are terrorizing little children. Frank sticks his tongue out at Jenny and she sticks her tongue out at him. And then he tells Jenny's mom, that's fine, ma'am. Since you'll be getting a lawyer anyway, we might as well charge your precious angel with attempted murder. She's the terrorist and you know it. And apparently, uh, even when she doesn't have superpowers, she is quite the little monster because her mother seems to understand that what Frank is saying is true because her, she just says, she says, what? Well, maybe we can work something out. And then we find the second person who has Superman's, some of Superman's powers. It's a dude that works in a restaurant called Hermes Healthy Hut. And the dude has super speed, which he is trying to use to be the first fast food health store, fast health food store. So they go in and confront him and the guy's cool about it. He's like, ah, shucks. Oh, well, you know, I guess I can't keep this stuff forever. But then suddenly all the food in the store, all the vegetables and fruits just start freaking out. And suddenly they are just surrounded by fruits and vegetables. And there's so much of it in the restaurant that that it bursts open the the windows and the doors and they all come piling out, you know, in a big avalanche of fruits and veggies. And then it just kind of stops. And as Superman and Frank and this dude are, are, are buried up to their necks in food, Superman is able to use the collector to get the food out of him. And then Professor Hamilton locates uh, the final, he says, two or three people that have the, the, the final fragments. He's not sure how many because it, he says it seems to fluctuate, but they are in Frank's universe. And then Superman tells Lois, he's like, all right, let's open the doorway. And he turns to Lois and says, you know, Lois, there's really no reason you should. And Lois immediately interrupts him. No reason. It's my job, buster. Don't you even think on leaving me behind. I'm going with you. And Frank and Professor Hamilton both obviously know what's going on between the two of them. And uh, Frank leans over to the professor and whispers, if Lois is anything like my girlfriend, Joe, and the professor says, uh, you can be certain that she'll be joining us. And so they open the doorway, they go into Frank's universe, and then the final panel is right after they arrive in Snap City, there are four mutant street beatniks in the road, and they're almost, well, Mr. Mixie's Pitlick is there, and he's holding a car above him, and it's like he's about to slam it down atop these mutant street beatniks. Only one of them appears to see that. But it's they're they're almost it's not quite it's almost opposite they're they're facing the car and the mutant street beatniks are facing the opposite directions of the famous image from Action Comics number one that shows Superman slamming a car down into the ground while a bunch of people run away that's sort of what's going on here it's kind of a, an homage to that but yeah Mister Mixie's Pitlick that would explain the building getting up and walking around and all the fruits and vegetables in that guy's store suddenly multiplying to such a degree that 
they fill up the store fast enough that they burst out in an avalanche through the windows in the, the door. So yeah, that's going to be fun. That will be the third issue. And I remember last week when I was talking about the, the first issue, when I was going over the, the intro and how Allred was using the first few pages to introduce new readers to exactly who Frank is, who Madman is, what his universe is about, because he doesn't do that with Superman. Everybody knows who Superman is, but probably had a lot of folks reading this book because they are Superman fans who have never read a Madman book. So he uses that opportunity to kind of catch everybody up on who Frank is. And during that, he gives us a scene or at least a panel with these mutant street beatniks. And I had said in the the last episode that they are not used at all in the issue. That was their only appearance and that uh, I hope that they show up at some point during the three issue series. And here they are at the end of issue two. They are front and center of issue number three, where Superman and Madman are fighting these four mutant street beatniks. And uh, man, you add Mr. Mixie's Pitlick to the, to the fricking mix. And I think next issue is going to be flipping crazy. This, uh, this issue, however, was again, it's a lot of fun. This, I had more fun with this one than, than the last one, which is usually always the hope when you're reading a, a series of books is that the first one is great. The second one is even better. And, you know, as you go, everything just gets better and better and better. So if that maintains itself, issue number three should be over the top amazing. But I really enjoyed that we finally got Frank and Superman together in the same room, basically back to their old selves, minus, minus or plus superpowers, depending on which character you're talking about. They get a moment where they shake hands, which was pretty cool. And I think Allred's doing a really good job at giving us or showing us how in many ways Superman and Frank are alike in regard to their desire to want to help people. Frank, like I said earlier, if he has time to think about it, he he gets scared and he doesn't want to put himself in situations. There's a, There was a whole scene in a previous issue where Frank and Joe are on the cruise ship and Frank has been accused of murder. And then they think that the, uh, the muscle man from the circus, who the, the whole circus is on the cruise ship, and that's why Frank is there, because he, he got a job working for the circus. But the muscle man then is accused of, of the murder, and he and Frank fight. There's a great, great fight scene, number of pages of them fighting. And during the fight, Frank is narrating, or what I assume is still uh, journal entries for Frank, but he's talking about how when it comes to fighting, he doesn't really give it a lot of thought that he just leaps in and starts swinging and kicking. And that if he took a moment to think about what he's doing, he would probably do whatever he could to avoid fighting because he doesn't want to get hurt. Getting punched in the face hurts. But when he's not thinking about it, he's just doing what comes naturally to him, which is to, to help people. And I, I find that kind of neat about Frank. It's kind of a weird dichotomy. You know, I think it's very, it's very human, frankly. I think most of us kind of feel that way. I think when somebody leaps into a situation that is potentially dangerous in order to help somebody else, I don't think they're giving it a lot of thought. I think it's just something that they do instinctually. And that's, that's how Frank is. Superman, on the other hand, he is, while everything to him as far as helping people is also instinctual, there aren't really any moments where he outthinks himself and thinks and, you know, thinks, uh, himself out of doing, how, how do I want to say that? 
where he kind of psychs himself out. You know, when he thinks about it, it's, it doesn't scare him like it does Frank. He's just, he's going to do it regardless. So really the main difference there between Superman and Frank is that Superman's heroic nature, his, his desire to help people, it's all encompassing. Whether he thinks about it or not, that's just who, who Superman is and that's what Superman's going to do. Whereas Frank, on a subconscious instinctual level, he's willing to put himself in harm's way to help other people. But if he, if he takes a moment to think about it, he realizes that he might get hurt and tries to still tries to help, but tries to do it in a way that would uh, allow him to avoid feeling any pain, basically. <laughs> and that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the reasons I love Frank, you know? Despite the fact that he is a guy that was brought back to life, he's probably one of the more human people that uh, you read in a comic book featuring folks with superhero costumes, or at least back in the 90s. But that was issue number two. I'm looking forward to issue number three, which is called Super Madness. We'll do that next week for sure. If you're reading along with me, I would love to know what you're thinking. Are you enjoying Madman? Are, are, are you just hoping that I'll quickly just stop talking about Madman so we can get on to other things? Just another fanboy at gmail.com. Let me know. And if you do it soon, I can read your email next week when I talk about the Superman Madman Hullabaloo number three. Until then, folks, my name is Steven, and I am just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. The Just Another Fanboy podcast is a Stephen or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or Else, and then come join in on all the fun at the Just Another Fanboy message boards at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr, and in return, I am going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. Uh-oh. All right. <clears throat> Oh, oh, baby. Oh, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready to record some stuff. Clear <clears throat> in the throat. <coughs> All right, here we go. And I'm back once again to take you further. They devise. They devise. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.